Hi, I'm Shashank Bhargav and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. In this episode, we talk about the death of 13 infants in the Shahidol district of Madhya Pradesh. We also talk about a strange election promise made by a Goan politician. But first, we talk about the ongoing farmer protests. It has now been over two weeks since farmers have been protesting in the national capital. Multiple talks have so far taken place between the central government and the farmer unions. But the divide between the two sides seems to have only hardened. Government officials claim that they have already yielded and given assurances based on exactly what the farmers had asked for during their talks. But the farmers do not agree. The farmers have now also threatened to intensify the agitation by blocking more highways leading to Delhi and said that on December 14, the residences of BJP leaders, ministers and officers would be gherawed and dharnas would take place at district headquarters across the country. So far, however, the protests have largely been limited to Punjab and Haryana. In this segment, we talk to Harish Damodaran, Indian Express's rural affairs editor, about why that is the case and what that means for these protests. The reason is simple. I mean, Punjab and Haryana are the states where the APMC system is the strongest and they also have uh, proper systems of government procurement. APMCs are mandis, places where farmers get to sell their goods, places where government agencies buy from farmers at MSP, that is, minimum support prices set prices which the government considers fair and remunerative. So the farmers in these two states, they think that the new central laws, you know, especially the ones that will allow trade and farm produce take place outside mandis, they think that they are the ones who are going to be hurt the most. So they know what are the benefits of the APMC system. And APMCs for them is also a place where government procures. So they believe that uh, once APMCs shut down, even government procurement will end. That's why farmers from these states are bound to protest, right? It's something like, say, government jobs, right? I mean, suppose tomorrow there's an announcement that uh, government salaries are going to be slashed. Obviously, you don't expect anybody other than government servants to protest. So it is a fact that uh, the Punjab and Haryana farmer, they have been beneficiaries of MSP-based procurement happening through the Mondays. And when they see that the system faces a threat, they are bound to protest. And then that's why they are on the streets now. The main two crops that the government procures from these two states are wheat and paddy. So it's something like annually about, say, 88,000 crore worth of paddy and wheat is procured from Punjab and Haryana. And that takes place entirely through mandis. You know, so when we are talking of about 88,000 crore, which is just the MSP value, and on top of it, the Arthias make commission on this uh, thing. That would be another, say, 2,000 crore. Arthias are commission agents, essentially middlemen who work in the Mondays. And these Arthias also end up employing 8 to 10 laborers who also benefit from the Mondays. So it's a full ecosystem, you know, which stands threatened today. We are talking of about, say, 90,000 crore. You know, 90,000 crore is the total wheat and paddy government procurement economy of these two states, you know, and the entire procurement happens through the mandis. So obviously the protests here would be more. Whereas if you look at other states, say Bihar or Tharkand, there is hardly any government procurement, say Assam, Arunachal Pradesh. So this is very natural that only in the states 
where the government procurement is the highest and also the states where you have well functioning mandi system obviously the, the, these are the states where you will find the maximum protest the farmers fear that because of the new farm laws the mandis will cease to exist and they will no longer get minimum support prices for their crops and this is crucial for farmers because for example when the government procures wheat and paddy which it does at msp that means farmers get assured prices for them you know when the farmer sells he gets a payment within 48 hours and it is at a very stable price all other crops the prices keep fluctuating like this time for example farmers the same punjab farmer sold maize for 800 rupees per quintal whereas uh, paddy the, the minimum support price is i, I think this year it's about uh, i think 1888 rupees per quintal and in wheat it is i think uh, 1975 rupees per quintal so you compare it to say 800 rupees per quintal in the case of maize so automatically you know the, the farmers uh, have an incentive to grow more of wheat and paddy for which the prices are reasonable and there is an assured buyer so on these two counts definitely i think farmers would look at any threat to the system you know whether it is imagined or real they would definitely get exercised by any such move so farmers from punjab and haryana because they benefit from mandis are the ones protesting at the forefront but what about other states how do they function without them hari says that when talking about this issue the model that is being offered to the farmers is that of bihar which in 2006 abolished the apmc mandis it basically repealed its apmc law okay so following that what happened is all the apmcs shut down mainly because suddenly the nitish kumar government said that there will be no apmc fee there will be no market yard fee etc so once those uh, market yards shut right because they had no revenue so suddenly the bihar farmers found that there is no place to sell nothing so in bihar you neither have apmcs nor you have msp this time farmers have sold their maize there for 900 rupees 1000 rupees a quintal so the farmers in punjab and haryana compare their situation with the farmers of bihar and bihar which abolished the apmc and uh, the government or uh, nobody is able to argue properly with the farmers of punjab and haryana why abolishing of apmcs was a good move in bihar obviously it was not it's very clear that the farmer in bihar doesn't get the msp for any produce whereas the farmer in punjab and haryana gets their msp for paddy and wheat and also you have well functioning mandis so nobody is able to give a counter narrative you know it's just vague once this goes we are giving you more choice we are giving you more freedom to sell elsewhere these farmers clearly don't want that freedom they are not willing to trade this freedom for what they have today he says that it's only other people who see mandis as a place that has mafias and rapacious money lenders the farmers in punjab and haryana though seem absolutely fine with them so that is precisely the whole thing so they are saying hey man we are happy with us we don't want any utopia and the utopia which you are offering of bihar isn't any utopia for us it's as simple as that when looking at the entire protests harish says that this movement is the greatest farm movement that india has had probably greater than even champaran or kheda or bardoli or even tikayat's 1987 88 uh, boat club rally the reason why i'm saying it is the greatest is all those movements had big leaders charismatic leaders you know you had uh, mahatma gandhi in champaran right 
you had Sardar Patel in both Baroli and uh, and Kheda. And of course, the, the Bharti Kisan Union rally was led by Mahinder Singh Tikai. Here, there is no one leader. I think there are some, I think, 35 organizations who were called just in Vigyan Bhavan for negotiation. The estimates are that there would be at least, say, about 50 organizations, right? This seems to be completely organic, you know, not led by any charismatic leader or anything. And I think that is why the government also has found it very tough to crack them down you know they, normally what happens in any agitation is you find that you know there's one or two leaders you know you sort of buy them out or you get them to withdraw here there's no one leader and each of these leaders will not be able to say that let's back out let's bargain with the government and let us agree to what the government says so this is a completely different movement i don't think india has ever seen a movement like this a farmer movement like this I, and i think it is much greater than all these uh, things which we have read in our history books and all these things. And I think definitely they are creating history. There are those who see this movement as only being limited to Punjab and Haryana and hence not as big. But here Harish points out that all farmer movements are localized. It's not as though Champaran movement was, it is not an all India movement, you know, what Gandhiji did among, uh, uh, you know, opium cultivators, among indigo cultivators, or even Sadar Patel's uh, movement in Kheda and Bardoli, not paying land revenue. See, all peasant movements are localized. Okay, so this one also you can say is localized uh, to say Punjab and Haryana. But the advantage they have is they are next to Delhi, right? They're very close to Delhi and therefore they are heard. And my feeling is that uh, there is sympathy for this movement among all farmers in India. I mean, I think the government and its supporters would be deluding themselves to believe that others are not. Uh, see, everybody, see, whatever happens in Delhi, for example, the farm fires, right? It affects Delhi, but uh, everybody knows about it. The so same thing, I think the images of these protests are going across India, you know, and everywhere. I'm, and I'm sure farmers across would be identifying something, you know. He also says that these protests go beyond just these three new farm laws and are an expression of accumulated grievances. It's a fact that, you know, last uh, two years, the prices of diesel have gone up. On the other hand, the prices of what farmers are producing it has not been going up. Rather, it has been coming down. So I think the demand has crystallized around uh, these three laws. So I don't believe that uh, this is a very isolated movement or something. It's something like the Anna movement, right? I mean, the Anna Hazare Lokpal movement. Every middle class person identified with it. He or she may not have gone and sat along with, with Anna Hazare and done Anshan or uh, done Satyagraha. But I believe that it touched every middle class's conscience, you know, the issue of corruption. So I would imagine a similar thing is happening to every farmer in India. One is running away from reality to say that it is localized to uh, uh, just Punjab and Haryana. I think the longer this runs, the more the damage this is going to cost to the government in terms of reputational uh, damage. I would call it some kind of a reputational uh, damage. I think the more this extends. So this is only going to, I think, spread over a period of time. Dear listeners, before we move on to the rest of the show, I just wanted your quick attention. One of the big reasons people say they like this show is because it helps them understand the news better. It provides them with the context they need to see the bigger picture. And there is perhaps no other place that does that better than Indian Express's explained section. We on Three Things refer to the section regularly and it helps us make this show. If you're a regular reader of Indian Express, you know how useful the explained section can be, especially when you're looking for in-depth analysis by the right experts. 
You can log on to indianexpress.com slash explained and access the coverage 24-7. Explained by Indian Express, where news that matters is explained by experts who know the subject. Now, back to the show. And next, we talk about Madhya Pradesh. Late last month, a four-month-old boy named Pushparaj was rushed to the district hospital in Shehdol. Pushparaj was having difficulty in breathing and later died within 24 hours. He was actually one of the four infants that had died in the hospital this way. They had all been suspected of pneumonia. In fact, the Shehdol hospital has seen the death of as many as 13 children in a week due to various other problems. These deaths are revealing of the large gaps that exist within the district's health infrastructure. In this segment, Iram Siddiqui, who reported on the story for the newspaper, joins us to talk about these deaths. And she begins by talking about the district of Shadol and the reason behind the deaths of these infants. The death of the 13 infants have been recorded at the district hospital in Shehdol. Shehdol is basically a district on the eastern uh, side of Madhya Pradesh, about 500 kilometers from the state capital of Bhopal. Uh, All these infants were brought in with symptoms such as hypothermia and at least five of them suffered from pneumonia. The causes for their death has been according to the hospital authorities, that they were brought in under very bad shape. They've been suffering from these ailments for quite some duration and then they were referred to the hospital very late. That is what the hospital authorities had to say because of which despite immediate treatment, there wasn't enough time for the doctors to help the kids survive. The one thing that Iram says even the doctors are questioning is that at least five of the kids had pneumonia with symptoms very similar to COVID-19. But none of them were tested for COVID-19, so there's no way to know whether their deaths were linked to the virus or not. The other thing to note is that most of these children belong to the scheduled tribes of Bega and Kol that live in remote locations. And doctors say that before the kids came to the hospital, they were taken to the so-called Bengali Babas for treatment. These Bengali Babas, which are there locally available in remote villages where these tribal kids cannot reach a hospital or a doctor so easily. So the first person that they turn to is a Bengali doctor or a quack, as we would put it. And then when their condition would aggravate, they rush to the hospital. Now, even when they get those kids to the hospital, there's no way that an ambulance can reach to these people in those remote villages inside the district. Also, Shehdol is uh, a district which has a large forest cover. So these parents would somehow figure out a motorcycle from some neighbor or somebody in the village and take their infant on that bike and ride, say, about 50 to 70 kilometers, which is easily one, one and a half hours it would take. And the temperature right now in Shehdol is really low. It's lower than what you would find usually in the state because of the huge forest cover. So a lot of these children who were already suffering from pneumonia, by the time that they reached the district hospital, their condition would have already aggravated so much more that they would die due to multiple organ failures because of hypothermia and meningitis and you know similar such reasons. The deaths, like mentioned earlier, have exposed large gaps in the district's healthcare system. 
Iram says that the Shahdol Hospital in question has been given the status of a medical college as well as a district hospital. This is why people assume that it has a more robust infrastructure. But that's not the case. In fact, there are at least eight posts of doctors vacant at Shahdol. So one doctor from an adjoining medical college was given the duty to look after the newborn sick uh, intensive care unit. And the doctor in charge of that particular department was on leave saying that he was suffering from COVID, but there are complaints that he was instead sitting at his private clinic and running his business. So one of the things that has come out in this is that a lot of government doctors, like you keep on hearing every now and then, instead of attending to patients at the district hospital, instead attend them at their uh, private clinic. So the collector also sort of raided his clinic and they've asked for the CCTV footage over the past 50 days that he was not available at the hospital citing that he was suffering from COVID to a certain if he was actually attending patients at his clinic. Besides, the hospital lacked warmers for the infant. So on every warmer, there were at least two infants because the hospital has a capacity to accommodate 20 infants. But there have been a large number of cases that are being referred to schedule from the neighboring districts of Umaria and Anupur and some as far as even with some villages in Chhattisgarh because this district is very close to Chhattisgarh. So a couple of villages from the Chhattisgarh region also get referred to Shehdol. So it does not have enough warmers. There are no ventilators. I mean, there are four ventilators, but a lot of them are not functional most of the time. But even apart from the hospital's poor infrastructure and doctors that may be absconding from their duties, Iram says that the peripheral, the block-level healthcare systems are also not functioning properly. I mean, during investigation, it came to light that there are certain supervisors who have not even referred to a single child to be admitted to the hospital. So this also points out that those, the ASHA workers and the supervisors who are supposed to be visiting these villages, these remote villages and urging these women to take their kids to the hospital for various immunization program has not been happening. Schedule has a large number of cases of malnutrition, but none of them have been referred to the hospital. So even at the local level, even you know at the village level, the peripheral infrastructure of the government was also not working properly because had they been doing their duty, these children would have been referred to Schedule Hospital much earlier and not when they were, you know, just thinking and, you know, the child stopped eating or breathing properly, that's when they realized oh, something has happened. This, this condition should not have come up in the first place. Iram also spoke to some of the parents of these children. That included first-time mothers who barely earned 300 rupees a day and who had sold off their jewellery to have a child. This woman, uh, Maya Cole, she told me that um, her child was suffering from common cold. She took her child, her baby, to the block hospital. And then they gave him some injection. And then by the time she reached home, his condition only worsened. And then she had to rush to Shadol Hospital. In the next 24 hours, the kid died. Even at the hospital, the parents said that the doctors, I mean, this gentleman called Vijay Mohobia said that he rushed his son to the hospital. He was there for about eight hours, during which none of the doctors came to visit his child. He alleged that the entire ICU was run by nurses in the absence of doctors. For Maya Cole, she never could know the reason why her child died because the nurse would just turn to her and say, Ki paida karna aata hai, samhalna nahi aata hai, and things like that. So this other woman said she had to wait for about five hours to get the 
ambulance to her village because there was no one at home and her child was sinking she kept calling for the ambulance but it took a really long while and by the time the ambulance reached her and they finally uh, came to the district hospital it was already too late and the child could hardly survive over the next 24 hours and died eventually so the parents are really angry because um, Uh, some of them were never informed never counseled properly as to what had happened why did their child die so things like that some never got the ambulance in time for some the doctors never came in time out of the 13 deaths four deaths she says were reported within 24 hours after that the madhya pradesh chief minister shivraj singh chauhan swung into action and said that committees would be formed to investigate the cause of deaths so two teams one from the jabalpur medical college which is about 6 hours away from shehdol and another from riva were sent to the hospital to check so the doctors found that the team the jabalpur medical team found that of course the hospital lacked a lot of facilities that is required for the kids including ventilators they are called infibulators or something for the kid those were not there and there were no doctors and things like that so this is how it started but then the government still maintained that whatever infants were brought in were given the appropriate treatment as per the national health mission guidelines but uh, what went wrong was the fact that these children were brought in very late so the hospital was not at fault it was the parents who brought their kids late to the hospital which caused you know all these uh, deaths but now two days ago the shehdol district hospital was visited by the health minister and after that the chief medical and health officer and the civil surgeon of the hospital were both shunted out besides the government has uh, announced that they are opening another uh, newborn sick intensive care unit of 20 beds at the medical college and they have filled at least four vacancies temporarily so the doctors who had retired have been roped in again some other guy who was transferred out has been brought back to the hospital so that there are at least enough hospitals uh, enough uh, doctors at the hospital if you know high number of patients are getting referred and there are enough beds and there's ventilators and warmers so things like that this is what the government has done and in the end we bring you a story from goa about a rather strange election promise the promise was made by goa forward party leader vijay sardesai last week it was actually an off the cuff remark as he later confirmed that's mita nayar who reports on goa for the indian express the off the cuff remark as she points out was made by sardesai during a press meet and uh, he did say that if he is made the chief minister of goa in the next uh, elections which is 2022 early 2022 when goa goes to polls again he said that he would ensure a compulsory csr which is between 2 and 4 which means everything remains shut in goa between that hour what he was promising was essentially a compulsory nap time for the entire state and those smitha doubts that he was serious about it she says that the sentiment behind it definitely was serious a sentiment that seems rooted in goan culture and history in goa it traditionally you know native goans do practice siesta hour uh, they call it sosega and uh, it's actually a portuguese word which uh, mr sardesa himself explained as coming from a, another root word called sosek which means peace at calm so in goa traditionally if you see the local goan shops 
or rather shops owned by local goans are shut uh, mostly in in cities like Panjim or Margao but definitely in villages inside like as you travel more uh, towards the in 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 a uh, village area also you would see shops shut she explains that susegar is essentially the time when people return back to their homes have a good lunch and take a nap a quick break from work before they head back so th- this goes back to a long time i mean not yet sure whether you know it is even before portuguese period so while reporting this i did try to understand the context behind it mr damodar mauzo who is a famous writer he is based out of pargao and he himself used to be a shopkeeper in fact most of his anecdotes in his books comes from the kind of interaction that he had with people that he would meet in his shop and he tells me that this whole culture of taking a break a siesta are is rooted in the agrarian history in the sense that goans would go to the farms they would get up early there was no culture of having breakfast early in the morning they would just go to the farm start their work and somewhere around 11 they would have a small cup of kanji uh the, the the rice stock and then they would again go back to work till one all this is happening in the field itself they are carrying their food to the fields and between uh one to three they would return home have a good lunch at home rest a bit and then again go to the fields to work so this kind of you know um percolated to the other lifestyle also and then this has been for a longer period so yes uh, this has a history to it After Sardesai made this one of his election promises Smita spoke to him about it and she says that through this promise he was trying to send out a larger message he spoke about these you know huge infrastructure projects which are coming to goa there is a complete change of lifestyle that goa is seeing there's a lot of demographic change that goa is seeing um he spoke about how a lot of shops these days a lot of small entrepreneurial uh, ventures in goa are actually done by people who are from outside so there's a sense of extreme competitiveness that comes into the scene into the work scene and he says that why why do you need to be so competitive when there is a certain way of life goans have a certain a standard of living they are happy with kind of not going into the rat race and he did pose certain questions which it echoes a lot here there is a lot of resentment to jobs which are extremely like intensive job in terms of hours in terms of how much is expected out of a day but even apart from this smita says The bigger point that he was trying to make was that when it comes to big infrastructure projects like that of electricity and railways which are coming to the state Sardesai was saying that these projects with their big promises may in a way be antithetical to the spirit of Goa and this is exactly quoting him and he he said that you don't have to overload a small place with so much of huge infrastructure and work and he says that he's not against connectivity but he says that everything needs to have some sort of planning and you need to understand the pace of a state you need to understand its cultural habits you need to understand how people live there in fact just to give you an example people really take greetings very uh, seriously in goa so when when you meet a person there's always a sense of community there's always a sense of giving and understanding a well being now 
you know, he rightly says that all this kind of, um, you know, is at risk now because of so much of pressure coming in terms of a lot of expectations from a small state. I think that context, when he speaks about Sosega, it really makes sense. Smita also says that this is the first time that Susegard has come up as an election promise. Definitely, it is the first time that somebody actually is saying that, yes, make me a chief minister and I'll put you to sleep. But earlier, there have been mentions about this in, you know, discourses or when academicians talk about it or when people are looking into planning their day. Um, in fact, I did speak to a couple of other MLAs just to kind of understand their reading about this. So while it's impossible today to put it in practice on what Vijay Sardesai said, but there were a couple of MLAs in both BJP and Congress and even in, let's say, political leaders in other parties who spoke about not having gone full-fledged during campaign hours when the elections were at its peak, they too would go back home for a few hours just to rest and then come back. She also says that maybe because of this, there is an impression that people from Goa are lazy. But that's not true. In the last three years that I've been working here, I have seen people giving me appointments early in the morning. I have seen them at work, at their work desk by like 8, 8.39. And I'm not just talking about government employees, but I'm also talking about a lot of other ventures, like, you know, people who are practicing agriculture or let's say even industrialists. There is a sense of waking up early and starting your work and then taking it rather easy in the mid-period and then again coming back recharged after the siesta. In fact, after the story was published, I got a lot of messages from people in Goa and also in other parts of the country. And it sort of resonated in this pandemic season when we are so, you know, worked up. Some of us are like having a lot of issues being at home, doing Zoom calls and work from home and all these cultures new working way. So I think what Vijay was trying to say is that we need to relook in the way we are working today too. I mean, and enjoy life, I I think. And, And that's not a bad message to take. You were listening to Three Things by The Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Shashank Bhargav, and as always was edited and mixed by our producer, Joshua Thomas. Before we go, here's another reminder to check out Indian Express's Explain section. You can log on to indianexpress.com slash explain and find in-depth analysis by the right experts. It has everything you need to know to understand the news better and see the bigger picture. If you like this show, then you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can also tweet us at Express Audio and write to us at podcast at indianexpress.com.